Welcome back to the Roman's Empire podcast, where we have witnessed every emotion in the book in the past week, from the joy of lifting the Europa League after beating the Gooners, to the sadness of saying bye to not one, but two Chelsea legends in Eden Hazard and the infamous Gaza, aka Gary Cahill. Pair that with the murmurings of the Italian press and the flirtation of Juventus, who want to solve our coaching dilemma by bringing in our manager? <laughs> and finally... Finishing off with arguably the driest, most uneventful Champions League final where we witnessed two teams who we hate passionately catfight like a bunch of pansies for the trophy. Let's just agree, for starters, that we did not want Liverpool to win as much as we wanted Spurs to choke on a 14-inch kielbasa, courtesy of Divock Origi. So today is a special episode because it's not, it is our season recap. And uh, we'll be giving our take on how the season went and try to figure out where the hell we go from here. Of course, my name is Zach Corey, and you're listening to the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. But before we get to that, no Romans Empire pod is complete without my two good friends and two-thirds of the pod, Andres Velasco and Sam Bagrizade. So I guess I'll start with you, Andres. How you doing? Man, it's been, like you said, it's been a roller coaster of a week. Just glad to be recording again with you guys and talk to some Chelsea. Som, the birthday boy. Happy hey, belated, thanks. first of all. Thank you um, so much. Why don't you tell everybody how old you are and what you wished for? Nice. I turned 25, uh, so I'm a young baller. Um, and I can't say my <laughs> wish out loud or else it won't come true, Zach. So good try. Um, so basically, if you were at Chelsea and you didn't make it by now, you would probably be playing for a championship side. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, You're at that age. But I just wanted to mention something about the Champions League final. I was just so happy with how it turned out. Being <laughs> one of probably the most forgetful Champions League finals of all time. Uh, Agree. I mean, if it, if it's going to be remembered, it will be remembered as one of the most boring. I mean, there was 85 minutes of nothing. It was literally like the first two minutes and then the last two minutes were the only time there was any action really. Uh, but I'm just, you know, obviously wasn't rooting for either side. I was just hoping that you know Chelsea would be the only team in London with the European Cup and remained that way. So I'm happy. Actually... Yeah. Uh -huh. I actually enjoyed watching Son and Deli Ali give the ball away for 90 minutes. <laughs> I How about Son missing the the tying goal from like three oh, yards out? That actually hurt. That was beautiful. That yeah, that hurt. was great. I kind of, I kind of, I was, I, I found myself rooting for that to go in, like just, just in, in the moment, you know. Then I was like, oh wait, what am I doing? Because I just, I, I, I just really like Son, and he's like the only player in Tottenham history I probably like actually liked. Uh, so it, I'm, I, you know, it's a weird emotion. You know, this is like I'm, a, I'm also rooting for the Golden State Warriors for the first time in my life. So I'm having Good a God. lot, of, I'm having a lot of change in my life that I've, you know, not oh been accustomed God. to. God, <laughs> wow. Okay, well, uh, I think we should change the subject. Yeah, let's talk about this, uh, the Europa League final. So, what an ass whooping indeed that second half was against. Uh, <laughs> Against the Gooners, so I'll re go through the starting lineup at first. Keppa, Dave, Christensen, Louise, and Emerson, uh, Manling backline. Jorginho, Kovacic, and Conte in the midfield, and then Eden Hazard, Giroud, and Pedro up front. So let's talk about the occasion itself. Uh, the game, the match being played in Baku. Uh, you know, the the event by I mean itself came under a lot of criticism. 
as far as the atmosphere before, during, and after the match as well, the pitch. Uh, what did you guys make of it, Zach? What, what were your thoughts on Baku and the whole uh, the event I as hope, a whole? I hope we never, ever have to experience something like that again. I mean, I, I was reading a stat that said when Arsenal played Carabag in the same stadium earlier in the Europa League, there were actually uh, more fans in attendance for that game wow. than there was in the actual final itself. I didn't know that. And, and and the fact that UEFA greenlights uh, a European Cup final in a country with a lot of political turmoil, um, for one, and two, only allocating 6,000 tickets to each set of fans was even more ridiculous to me. I think that was the smallest away section I've seen since, uh, oh, probably Carabag. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I thought that was terrible for starters. I mean... Don't don't even get me started on the pitch. It looked very similar to the one that uh, we saw in New England. Very patchy. They can't keep their grass green for whatever reason. I don't know what it, what's in the air over there. And the fact that that is probably the widest running track I've ever seen in my life. Like I, <laughs> I, I think the front row of the stands was about uh, I would probably say like 25 or 30 yards away from the touchline. And and. I don't know if I was the only one that noticed this, but did anyone else notice how far away the benches were from the actual Every, pitch? Everything itself? was far. I mean, I mean the, camera, the camera was so far away from the pitch that, like, you couldn't tell where the ball was ending up. You know, anytime the ball was in the air, you couldn't tell if it was in the middle of the field, on the right side, left side. It was just, like, a really weird angle. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. It was just not – it's, it's – uh, it just – it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it kind of shows how much they really care about – the Europa League, to be honest, but um, well, we know Azerbaijan's a very rich country, and we know FIFA love uh, rich countries. So wait, what I mean, are, I think you, I think you could. Are you saying that I they're think, corrupt or something? I mean, I you could just kind of put two and two together. I mean, Andres, I'll do, what do you? I'll do. What Google did research. you make of it? I'll do I mean, Google was research. it? Oh, this is this is just a cash grab. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, it it screams crash cash grab. Like you said, it there was barely any fans. And the one thing I don't get is, yes, Azerbaijan, like Baku, big city, like Formula One has a Grand Prix there. Like it, it, it's a big city, but this isn't the right tournament or, or match for it. You would think they would choose like more of a EU central location where the traveling makes sense for both sets of fans, no matter what country is participating. And I think that's one of the big ones. Like every single uh, one of our the people we interact with from the UK said that travel costs were outrageous. They they weren't gonna make it to to the final for the first time in who knows how long when there's been a European final. It's just it just sucks to hear that UEFA didn't think of the fans first just to put some more money in their pocket. It's a European final. You're gonna get your money's worth. So. It, it just sucks that it ended up playing that way. Uh, obviously, the Champions League final got to be in Madrid, which, I mean, compare the two, it's <laughs> night and day. So, yeah, it, it's just a bummer. I guess that, that just shows a difference in competition between the Champions League and the UEFA League. So, uh, maybe it's not so much to be celebrated after all. But anyway, let's get, let's get into the match. Um, so, the first half, the Gooners really came out strong, especially in the first 20 minutes or so. But Chelsea did respond to the late wave of attacks from around the 30-minute mark until the half. 
So what did you guys notice initially from a tactical perspective? Andreas, what, we'll start off with you. What did you see? Um, I'll actually let Zach start. Yeah, cause... Zach, go ahead. <laughs> well, I one thing I did notice, Arsenal actually did a pretty good job in eliminating our play out of the back, right? So all season long, um, as we've tried our best to come to grips with sorry ball, using my air quotes, um, the only thing we do know is that Jorginho has to play at the base of the midfield and that the ball has to be played out of the back. And I think Arsenal did a really good job cutting off the passing lanes to not only Jorginho, but to both Louise and Christensen. And there's a, there were times in the match where you notice Aubameyang and Lacazette marking Louise and Christensen um, off of goal kick situations. Or whenever Keppel would get the ball in general, um, they're usually on their horse trying to get uh, trying to get near those guys. And Ozil was doing his best to mark Jorginho. Uh, he took Jorginho out of the game a couple times. Um, I know a lot of people are shitting on Ozil's performance, which rightly so. I mean, it was it was a pretty shit performance. But from a defensive perspective, in that first half, uh, it was kind of decent. I noticed that our wingers would drop deep to create these little two v ones into wide areas. And the two being our winger and fullback combo and the one being their only wing back um, who was giving them their width. But as the second half went on um, and as the game went on in general, I think we noticed how brilliant Kepa was with his distribution. He, at one point, he just started bypassing the center backs and Jorginho and was spraying it out wide to Emerson and Dave where we would get it where he would spray it out to them in space they'd control the ball in this tight area and we'd have a 2v1 you know on one of the flanks and that's how we were able to get out so i i do think our initial struggle in the first half was because of the tactic tactics emery implemented but let's be real guys like emery is the uh, europa league manager like if for, if you're arsenal like you probably felt pretty good about having him in your corner going into this match and and i thought he had the tactics spot on to start the game off just to add one more thing, I thought that in the first half, Giroud, who is known for being great at linking up with with the buildup, I thought he really didn't put himself in a good position. I think he was kind of a ghost. And one thing that he did adjust going into the second half was dropping in a bit deeper because mm -hmm. that, that middle of the field, there was no kind of outlet centrally. And, and one thing that Giroud is so good at is that if the ball is coming anywhere near him, He'll be the first one to receive it and put a body between the ball and the defender. So mm -hmm. I just thought that he he was kind of lacking a bit of effort in that first half. And, I mean, once he kind of kicked it into high gear in the second half, we were a whole other team. So I just yeah. thought that was the big glaring uh, tactical thing that changed between the two the two halves. I mean, that uh, just Giroud's play this whole season, that, that's been – I feel like a majority of our goals have been directly or indirectly caused by – one of his like just link up plays. I mean, he's, he, I feel like that, that wasn't always his play style, you know, during his time in Arsenal. I mean, he was, he was always a good passer, but I th I feel like now he looks for it even more than he ever has. Like that, that's his prime primary concern, like trying to roll it off, you know, his heel for a back for a back heel, you know, but I, th I, I think the thing with Ollie that, that, not a lot of people talk about like I, I we've mentioned how he's a human wall pass right mm. but it's not it's not just that he's receiving the ball and just aimlessly just you know playing these one touch wall passes yeah, into open spaces and hoping someone's getting to them like he's actually a very intelligent footballer and and you look at the same impact he had on that France on, on that French national team I don't think he had a shot on target up until the final mm -hmm. right something like that 
but you look at how effective he was and how reluctant Deschamps was to 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 put him on the bench basically and bring him off the bench. He started him every single match. He's just so good at that link up play. It seems like he's that kind of striker that's that like like Andres said, you know, he's willing to drop in deep, but it's not dropping in deep just for the sake of holding up play. It's dropping in deep to restore balance into the side, right? We saw Giroud drop deep. We saw uh, Hazard and Pedro push up a little higher up the pitch. Hazard took up a more central position, but Giroud dropped deep because we weren't really getting much penetration from Kovacic's side. It was mostly coming from N'Golo Kante's side. So when we saw Giroud drop in, it almost created like this little diamond where Pedro and Hazard just kind of tucked in up top. And it kind of worked out. And it's it's this is something we haven't seen Maurizio Sarri do all season. And, it, and it's an adjustment that he made in our very last game of the season and the right adjustment. At and probably his last game for yeah, probably, Chelsea Probably manager. his last tactical adjustment he'll ever make. Was his best one. That's great. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about Giroud. You can't really talk about the second half without mentioning him. Um, in the mm-hmm. second half, we really began to exploit the wide areas. Um, and Arsenal just couldn't gain the upper hand in the middle third of the pitch uh, like they were in like early in the first half. So going back to Giroud, this man recently signed a new contract ex- uh, extension with the club, uh, which will keep him here for at least the next season. Uh, and arguably this, this was his best game in a Chelsea shirt. Um, he had three key passes, a goal and an assist. All of six, all 16 of Giroud's goals this season for club and country were first-time finishes. Um, That's nuts. Yeah, I mean yeah. that one, the one in the match by itself from that 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 just bullet-driven ball from uh, I think was it Zapacosta who gave the Emerson ball. so Emerson. good at Emerson. that. He's and, so I good mean, at that. I, I don't I when I saw that ball going in, I thought there's no way anyone could finish this because it was so low. And and it was go and it was pretty much going in the direction of the goal. You know, he was be- they were behind he was behind the box giving the ball in. And the angle that he put it in was just I mean, that was unbelievable. That's what he does though. I mean uh, How many other strikers in world football could do that not named Cristiano Ronaldo or like Lewandowski, a Lewandowski yeah. type? Yeah. I mean, but like I could see Lewandowski scoring a goal like that, but I mean, come on. Like that's just like Against your former club too. Yeah. Like that's that just the, the best part of ridiculous. Goal. Yeah. <laughs> I that, guess that's... the only person I can think of is Jovic because he did it to us what two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. But literally, that's yeah. the only guy I could think of. God, Jovic's goal is brilliant. But but the thing with Giroud's goal is that he beat Peter Check to his near post, and Check had that covered as well. Like if you watch it in slow mo, there's this angle where it's kind of like behind the goal, and and, and it's right it's right behind the near post. And you think Czech had it covered, but the power that Giroud put on it, like, I don't think any other keeper is stopping that. And I know some people got on Czech's back. We have an Arsenal friend who was in our group chat just absolutely shitting on Czech throughout, the, throughout like, you know, the whole period of or, – or time the match was taking place. And me and Sam were just kind of like, eh, he, he's actually the only reason why you're still in it. And, like, of course, this right? is only, like, one nil down. But, you know, I, 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 I only thought – uh, from from an Arsenal perspective, at least, I th- I thought Peter Cech was arguably their best player on the night. Or him him or Lucas Torreira. I I thought Torreira was pretty good too. I agree. Peter Cech, I thought had a decent game. It's just we were clinical. That's simple yeah. as that. Yeah, for once in our life. Right. Exactly. And I think the one the best part about just Giroud's performance against his former team is kind of like the build up to it. The fact that 
they really thought that the two strikers that they were, were remained with after that move when they brought Abba in, and you know they have him and Lacazette up there in front. You know they think that they really upgraded their striker uh, position, and both of them were invisible this match. I mean our our defense really shut them down, um, and and Giroud balled out. So it was like if you were watching this as an Arsenal fan. It was like the worst possible experience, and the exact opposite. If you were a Chelsea fan, it was it was one of the most. I mean, we're later. We're going to be talking about the best moments of the season, and this match was by far the best moment of the season for me. I mean, it might be recency bias, but I've never, I've never enjoyed. Oh, like, it's a trophy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that plus it being Arsenal plus just the second half, how 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 we just they just collapsed, um, but. I mean, I mean, we're talking. I am... just finishing up on Giroud. Uh, yeah. Would you guys mind Giroud being our first choice striker next season? Andreas, I'll start off with you. Um, first, I want to say that I thought Giroud was robbed of the man of the match in this game. He had the goal, the assist, and he earned the PK. And like I said, like if he didn't show up in the second half, I feel like it would have been a lot closer than it ended up being. But yeah, I think he should definitely compete for a place. Uh, without the one thing that is going to be interesting is with Sari most likely going to Juventus. I'm not sure what kind of style we'll be playing, but yeah, Giroud has every right to compete for that starting job with uh, Tammy and maybe Mishi if Mishi's back too. So yeah, Giroud should be the guy that is considered the starter going into the the preseason. I wouldn't necessarily be mad at that. I still think we need to upgrade at the striker position. I mean, I know that with the whole, you know, transfer ban probably going to happen uh, <laughs> next month and everything. Like, we, we might not have the chance to bring in a striker. But, Andres, you mentioned Tammy and Michi. Now, I know that – or I don't know, but we kind of know that Sari's going to Juve, don't we? Like, right. it's pretty much a done deal. So, with that being said, we do get a new manager next season. Call me crazy, but Callum hudson Adoy is injured. You know, uh, I, I, by the way, just quick shout out to Pedro, who was like, he just reminded everyone how classy he was that match. Like the guy is literally one at all and for a reason. So yeah, shout out to Pedro. But whatever manager does come in next season, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a, a, a two striker system. I want to see two play, two guys up top. And I think Giroud will play really well with a strike partner like Tammy, who's really good at getting in behind and has a little bit of pace to him as well. Like if you could have a guy like Giroud maybe dropping in deep, playing some flicks on the Tammy, that would be something to look forward to, I think. And and, and honestly, if if I was going into next season, knowing that Callum Hudson Adoy is injured, I mean, William and Pedro, they're not getting any younger. Um, you do have Pulisic coming in who could play behind two strikers. Um, it, it, it's just something to think about, especially with Loftus-Cheek out as well, who would probably be our 10 in a scenario like that. I mean, like the, ex the expectations we're going to have for next season, uh, I think that having Giroud be our number one striker really does fit in with my expectation of next season. I'm not <laughs> expecting too much. So it's like, if he's our number one guy, it's like that kind of fits in perfectly with what I'm We're, expecting. I, it's already kind of like written in the stars that's going to happen next season, Even right? Even though like, he's class. I mean, I can't, you know, but yeah. it's. I mean, I, I, I just think everybody knows that Chelsea is going to get bounced out of the group stage in the Champions League. And since we're going to be in the first pot, for drawing, we'll be eligible to go to the Europa League, yeah, and I think we'll win the Europa League again. Thursday night, <laughs> again. 
Yeah, I think I think we're gonna spend a <laughs> a, a lovely you know Europa ago. League. Fi- Did they announce where it is next season? It probably um, is, it probably is said somewhere. I'll look it up. Uh, it's probably gonna be in like Georgia or something <laughs> for all we know. But like Saudi you Arabia, know, not even in, yeah. not, they're not even gonna hold it in Europe from now now on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had they had the Italian Supercoppa or one of them in in Saudi Arabia. So. Nothing. Yeah, nothing surprises me anymore. So yeah. no, no, I don't like that. Let me let, let's move on because it's gonna be in Poland. Poland. Okay, that's great. Oh, that sounds like it's not bad. Is it Warsaw? Uh, no, it's gonna be in Gdanks. I'm I'm not even making this up. It's legit Danks. Danks. All right. That sounds that, that's gonna be a Dank Europa final. So. <laughs> Uh, Half of our listeners probably don't even know what dank means. Why don't don't you explain what dank means? (laughs) Uh, You you guys can look that up on your own. Um, So let's talk about – Andreas mentioned that he thought Giroud should have been man of the match. But the real man of the match, I think, without any any questions asked, Eden Hazard, possibly, probably, definitely his last match in a Chelsea jersey. Unless maybe, you know, later down the line, before he retires, he comes back for, you know, just a, a year or two a la Didier Drogba. But what a way to go out. Two goals plus an assist, five dribbles completed, three shots, all of them on target, five key passes. After the match, Eden Hazard was asked about his decision and pressed on it uh, right on the pitch, mid-celebration. I mean, it was annoying. But I mean that's journalism. They have to, he's doing his job. Eden Hazard was asked, uh, you know, about his decision. He mentioned how it depends on the negotiations between uh, the two clubs, <laughs> Real Madrid. Oh. Uh, so it, it depends on you know it, it's 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 just a matter of when it gets done. That's pretty much what yeah. he's saying. It, it's happening. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just it's just I a mean, matter of what when they what what terms they agree on and how. This serious. is. This is just your classic Marina playing hardball. We're gonna get the price. Fuck what you we guys should. think. We should. We should. Kind of deal. What, what rush? I mean, we're not in a rush. What, listen, uh, listen. It's, it's an off season. I'm not saying Courtois has to like slither his way out of Chelsea like Courtois did, but mm-hmm. I mean, like, if something doesn't happen within the next couple weeks, I can definitely see like the transfer request buzz start to, you know, hit the press. Like, what's gonna happen? How, how does that affect anything? If we're already planning on moving him anyway. The bottom, the bottom line is, I think Chelsea needs to do the right thing in this situation, and and I think they need to put a little bit more uh, thought into that aspect of the sale as opposed to strictly the financial gain. We'll we'll get the we'll get the hundred million uh, as of today. Madrid signed Jovic for like fifty six, and they are, they're like on the verge of completing Ferland Mendy for less than fifty. So two of their other targets ended up being way cheaper than anybody expected. Which makes me think that now they have that extra bit of cash that they were kind of holding on to to get to the hundred million like valuation that Chelsea has for Hazard. So oh, well, they're still going to sell half their squad too. Right? Yeah. They, the, their moves are not nowhere near being done, and it's yeah. week one in June. So we'll we'll get the money that we're asking for, and Hazard will get the move that he wants. Uh, yeah, I just, so. I think. I really do think it'll be done in the next 10 days. I, I don't see Madrid waiting so long because you can have a presentation with your fans before the preseason starts, mm-hmm. and Madrid loves having those things where you have the guy come out, mm-hmm. juggle, 
and whatever, and the whole or, stadium. Sells or if out you're Lucas it. Hernandez, not juggle. <laughs> right. You guys ever seen that video? Mm-mm. When when Real Madrid bought Lucas Hernandez from Atletico, like you know how they bring him out onto the field and they juggle in front of all the fans. Lucas Hernandez. Or tail, tail, tail. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah, excuse me. Wow, footballing blasphemy right there. But mm. yeah, well, yeah. When Taylor Hernandez was juggling, the the guy was struggling to juggle more than like four or five times consecutively. He looked like that little kid when you used to play like club soccer back in the day. He looked like that kid on the other team with, who always had the coolest haircut and would always try to juggle before the game and impress the other team and just fail miserably. That's that's basically him. But yeah, not quite the Galacticos uh, signing no. that they were hoping for. Let, let's get back to Eden Hazard real quick. Um, let, let, let's talk a little bit about him and his impact and his legacy. We'll start off with this question. Where does Eden Hazard rank amongst all-time Chelsea greats? Zach, I'll start off with you. Oh, um, I'll start with this. I think Eden Hazard was easily, easily the best Chelsea player I have ever seen. And I'm talking in terms of raw ability. Um, the way he took over this game in particular, the Europa League final, I mean, at, at, at one point he was just toying with the Arsenal defense and, and, and he was even attracting three or four players before like laying it off to Emerson into space. And the fact that he doesn't even have to bust a move to attract attention on the pitch just says everything about his ability that you need to know. And, you know, he's, he's fantastic and there's really no other way to, put it and he'll be missed and uh, you know to answer your question um i don't think he's the greatest chelsea player of all time i think lampard was at least the greatest i've seen and i think a lot more goes into being great um than being the best per se because hazard is the best i mean if you're going to talk raw ability you'd be pretty hard pressed to find any other chelsea players who could do some of the things they did in his position i mean like the only real names that pop in your head are probably robin and zola um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he was the greatest. I think he's definitely probably a top five for sure. Um, but I got to give that to lamps our future, uh, manager. <clears throat> what? Yeah. Future yeah. Manager, that's what you said. <laughs> oh, wait, I did. <laughs> Andres, what do you think? I think Hazard is by far the most talented player we've ever seen. I I'm with Zach that there might be one or two players who are, you know, the, uh, the, greatest Chelsea players I think that based on talent and skill Hazard is by far the best though I don't think we've ever been so close to having the best player in the world or or like close to that category at least in our lifetime so yeah I I think Hazard is probably top five in terms of greatest but in terms of individual talent and, and what he brought he is by far number one but it's been it's oh. been seven years, right? Since we signed him, seven or eight years. Yep. Yeah. And, and and something I was gonna add. Sorry, Sam. Um, but something I was gonna add is I I, I know a lot of people um, are frustrated that he's leaving and saying like, oh well, you know I I think we let him down because you know our transfer habits weren't necessarily the greatest the last five or six years. And you would think that if we could have invested the Murata money, the Bakayoko money, the Drinkwater money, the Zapacosta money differently and more efficiently, like maybe we would have had a chance to keep him because all of a sudden you have one or two more world-class players in a Chelsea side. I get that. I get that whole point, and I, you know, I understand that. But we have to come to terms with the fact that he is going to go. 
And I think, I think, I think it's hit me harder than it's hit you guys yet. So well, far, yeah, because it's not official and, yet. Like, yeah, but 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 the point I'm trying to make is, Sam, you said seven years. Like, think about that. We have had a player this good for seven years. I mean, that's almost unheard of. Like, Manchester United couldn't hold on to Ronaldo for seven years. You know, like, uh, you you think of all the greatest Premier League players. Uh, uh, how long was Henri at Arsenal before he left? Probably probably around the same time. Around the same time, maybe a little more. But mm. the point is, gr- players this great don't stay at in the Premier League. They go to Real Madrid or Barcelona because that's the pinnacle. And I think instead of being frustrated that he's leaving, I think we should be thankful that he's been here for seven years. Someone that talented. I mean, will I'll be shocked if we see that again in the next decade. I I know from from what I just wanted to add, you know, the past seven years has been amazing with him on our team. Andreas, you you said exactly what I wanted to say. He was the closest we had to having the actual best player in the world. And in my opinion, I think he was one of the best players, if not the best player this season in the Mm -hmm. world. Um, Just what he was able to do. He really carried us on his back and didn't complain you know, there was there were quotes from him in the media about him wanting to leave, but you know, this is again forced quotes out of him that, that that journalists are trying to get you know a story on. But he he was a great sport through this hectic season. He carried us on his back. I mean, my favorite jersey I have is an Eden Hazard seventeen jersey. Uh, yeah, that, and it's you know I, I will always keep that. And, and uh, you know, I'm just I'm I'm really I'm really sad that he's gone, but I'm really happy about the past seven years what he's done especially this past season you know if, if, if he didn't have this kind of season and the way he handled it and the way he performed I think I would have felt a little bit different with him leaving but I'm, I'm a little bit more satisfied you know he gave it all he gave it his all he was a you know he he wants to he wants to stay but he also wants to leave so you know it's not one of these situations where he's like get me the hell out of here you know I think he still yeah. would love to stay if there was a better, you know, just better team around him, he'd have to do the bulk of the work. But, you know, it, it that, that's business. That's that's the business of soccer. Um, yeah. Let, let's look back. What what was your guys' favorite Eden Hazard moment? I think we we did this. Like, we did this a while ago. We did this. We probably did it like we, three times. Yeah, because each time it was like we accepted that he was gone. But this is actually the last one. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think. And the and the one that we can't say is the Cochlin, uh one the when he knocked him on the ass because that's what we yeah, use. Every I was time. about to mention that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I, I'm just gonna say favorite moment of this season, and it has to be the goal at Anfield. Mm-hmm. Just and picks the, the ball up right? a little bit. Yeah, just right at about that halfway line, picks his head up, and he's on the right hand side of the pitch too, which is somewhere where we're not. Uh, familiar with seeing him and uh two nutmegs and just drilled it past the best goalkeeper in the history of the world according to liverpool fans um i I remember (laughs) yeah who was it curious um no like i i remember watching that goal in real time and just not remembering how i even celebrated like i remember watching the goal but I don't remember my celebration. Like after that, like I, I know that I got a rush of adrenaline, right? Like that was the thing. I scream. I know I scream. And then I blacked out for you maybe scream. two or three seconds. 
and I found myself shirtless and sockless in the room right <laughs> next to where I was actually watching the match. Okay. And it was it was it was uh it was great. I mean, it was just kind of like it was it was. It was sex. Like yeah. that's the only uh, real way I could put that goal. Yeah, it sounds like, like you were drugged or something. Apparently, like give you a roofie. No, <laughs> l- listen. You guys know that that like, like, that adrenaline rush that just blacks you out. And only sports could do that, mm-hmm. right? Like great, great moments in sports. Like if you think of the greatest moments that you've ever seen in any sport, do you really remember how you celebrated like in that moment, or do you remember the actual moment itself? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Andreas, what about you? Um, my favorite – I have two quick ones. The first one off the pitch, it's that video of of the, the team being at like at a charity thing and Ivanovic trying to speak English and Hazard just not <laughs> being able to contain his laughter. Oh, I just thought – such a goof. I love that. That, pitch laugh. yeah. that oh literally is, is Hazard in a this. nutshell. Make me cry. <laughs> Hazard in a nutshell, just the fact that he was always kind of smiling and, and just upbeat – and then the other thing was Hazard stealing the Premier League off the hands from Spurs and handing it over to Leicester City yeah. mm-hmm. with that beautiful one-touch curler off the one-two with Diego Costa to tie uh, or to draw the match two-two against Spurs in like the second last week of the season. It was fantastic, fantastic stuff. Just. Yeah, one of those moments any, where it's just like anytime uh, you just you keep a trophy away from Tottenham is definitely one worth remembering. Uh, I think my favorite moment. I'm gonna stick to this season too. Um, his one goal against West Ham. I think he scored two, but I mean, if you you'll know which one I'm talking about, where there was probably five, four or five defenders like lined mm-hmm. up right on the outside of the box, and he just danced through them and did the amazing finish. I mean, the commentator said it was like a hot knife through butter. I mean, that's exactly what it was. I mean, he just slid through everyone and it was one, it's one of those goals. And it was, you know, like from this season again, like I, how I said before, it was just like this him being his last season. Uh, that was really special to me. And it, you know, that, that, that just kind of embodies the kind of player that he's been this past seven years. Um, but let's move on. Uh, just some quick stats about this match. So Chelsea are the first team to win a major European competition. Oh, are, are, are we done with the Hazard segment? Yeah, it was not music in the background. This is how I feel right now, guys. Oh, was, oh, you're. <laughs> this is honestly how I feel right now. Like I'm. This is uh, who, who's this? This is a. Uh... What, James Blunt? James, James Blunt. Blunt, yeah. Oh, wow. man, yeah. Yeah, oh. speaking of dank, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, the – it was getting a little too depressing, Zach. I, 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 could, yeah, I, had, to, I had to move on. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. But Chelsea are the first team to win a major European competition without losing a game during the campaign. So we ha- we won 12 matches, drew three and zero losses. Uh, since United won the 2007-2008 Champions League uh, unbeaten – and after uh, Saturday's match, we're still still the only team in London with a European Cup. So, Woo-hoo. best in London. Uh, that, London that's, is blue, that, baby. This is, I mean, it says an updated stat, but this was something that's been established for quite some time now. Uh, <laughs> we are we are the we are the best team in London. 
So oh, man. we're Zach. three trophies ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Zach, what is this question? Now that Eden Hazard's gone, who's going to take our penalties? Oh, uh, that was a Twitter question from oh. uh, our good friend Leonard Cohen. Leonard, what's up, Len? Yeah, what's I mean, up, man? My, my my surprise wasn't so much with the question as with your answer that you put. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was trying to think of someone else besides Jorginho, but I was pretty hard-pressed to find anyone else. I was going to type in David Luiz, and then I— and then I just got a vision of him just like hitting the crossbar like three consecutive penalties in a row, and I I, I took his name off, but I, I forgot to take I off. I feel the like Jorginho's had two or three penalties this season that made me like, like, like just get so furious at the, his approach. Like, dude, like, it works though. Like, if you look at his success rate, it's ridiculous. Is it, his is it, his conversion rate? I will look nuts. that up. I will have to look that up. We had it on a pod like earlier this season. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. The only one up. he missed was that Capital One Cup final. Yeah, that's against the one. Ederson. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, stood out, stood out to me pretty hard. Um, so let's let's just wrap up this match with some honorable mentions. There were a lot of them. First of all, David Luiz and Andreas Christensen, just manning that center back position unbelievably well. They did not they did not put a, a foot wrong all match, and. You know, these guys are big game players by every stretch of the imagination of the word. David Luiz and Andreas Christensen just really with a master class. Um, and, you know, b- both with their positioning, taking out players, um, and the blocks, especially Christensen towards the end, had an amazing block. Um, He's really good at those, actually. It's becoming like a trademark for him this right, season. Right. Yeah. I know Andreas had a thought on uh, Christensen. Yeah, I just thought that for a guy that gets so much crap for being lanky and weak, I thought he was pretty strong getting stuck in the tackles. Uh, I felt like he laid it all out on the line, and, and there's that one play that, that stuck with me where he put his face like in the right in the way of where someone's foot was going. Like Somebody was trying to have like an acrobatic volley, and, and he just put his face right into the ball to clear the ball out from across. So I thought he was fantastic today, and I'm glad that he's getting his confidence back. Uh, another honorable mention, Jorginho with really Ooh. a masterclass. Uh, so the most criticized yeah. player also becomes the most underappreciated with uh, seven tackles, the most for Chelsea in a Euro- in Europa this year. This year, um, two clearances, two interceptions, a key pass. Zach, you just want to yeah uh your your it, weekly uh, Jorginho praise <laughs> because he just doesn't get enough credit for what he does yeah, like someone's got to put on for him every every single person that says Jorginho cannot defend I just urge you to go back and and, and just watch one half uh I believe it was Pedro's goal the one that Hazard set up Jorginho was the one that broke up play in the midfield and played the ball to Hazard who assisted pedro like that is exactly why we bought him and that's exactly why he's playing there to assist the assister so uh all the Jorginho haters could kind of suck it for the time being like i i think as the season went on this guy's just proven that he's he's pretty much worth every penny when you really think about it like i know it was a high transfer fee but ah man he does both sides and it's this this had to be one of his probably top three chelsea yeah. performances all, all season zach would well, zach would probably pay more for that now those are for the uh <laughs> yeah i definitely i definitely would yeah uh then the final honorable <laughs> mention in golo conte 
playing this match both on one hamstring and also fasting for Ramadan for most of the match, right? Did he he he? he I, I think, think so. the fasting ended midway through the match. Yeah, uh, something like. 94 minutes of football on one hamstring and fasting. That's just winning. That's winning mentality right there. I'm so happy to see him on the, on the team sheet before the match. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise, uh, and I don't think we could have done it without him, to be honest. Yeah. Andreas, I know you had one thing you wanted to add with uh, N'Golo Conte. Yeah, Terrera fanboys that were saying that Terrera was the better DM halfway through the season, <laughs> take a freaking seat. Jokes. Our DM on That's one leg banter. sent yours crying before the match ended. So... <laughs> Yeah, Torreira can step aside. That's, Why did Emery take him off anyways? That, that was a confusing one. He left Xhaka on? Xhaka's got the shot from distance, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, that's all he has because he doesn't have anything else. Didn't really work out for them this match. So, wrapping up this match, what was your guys' favorite moments from the celebration? Oh, for me, it's easy. It was Giroud holding the Europa League trophy on the bus and saying, Thank you, Arsenal! <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Zach, what that was you? awesome. Uh, so I want to tell you what celebration confused me the most because I I don't really have a favorite. I think they were all awesome. The one that confused me the most was Iguain. Why was he celebrating so hard? Like he contributed so much to this campaign and dedicated Thank so you. much time to to our route to Europa League glory. No, I I I think. Uh, there was one really funny scene with Iguain where I think he he grabbed the trophy and it was full of beer and he was like trying to drink out of it and I'm trying to remember I think it was Emerson grabbed the trophy and just like completely just emptied it on top of him and I, I moments like that are kind of reminiscent and 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 they bring back you know like like your childhood memories your favorite memories that you had on the soccer pitch and yeah it, you know it just kind of those, those childhood memories of getting doused in beer I love no that. no no <laughs> i'm talking about i'm talking about those celebrations <laughs> with your teammates when you would play back in the day yeah, like i don't play and anymore and each other, just right. re- remember remembering that like camaraderie and that brotherhood is it's it's always kind of nice to see especially you know watching these guys celebrate winning a trophy and you know, celebrate their culmination of a season that they had. You know, it's just – it's nice to see. I don't know. My That's favorite, the only nice thing I'll, I'll ever say about Iguain, by the way. <laughs> My favorite was that video that was going around with them doing the, the Cho chant and uh, in, in the bus. And then someone in the background – you can't figure out who. I don't think anyone's been able to figure it out. Screaming, resign, resign, sign the contract. <laughs> I think he was talking about Ian Hazard, but uh... – uh, oh, what about what about the Rob was, Green moment? That was awesome. That, that was, was he awesome. he deserved. Yeah. But the, wait, the Rob Green moment, what like on the on Which the was, pitch, right? The, when yeah, when he, well, when he lifted the trophy, or was it something talking, after the match? Because I'm talking about the one on the bus. Oh no, all I, of it. What all is, of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I I wasn't I didn't keep up to date with the Rob Green stuff post match. I need to, I need to look that up. Oh my god, he's Chelsea. They were definitely they, one of my all the Hispanics were calling him Roberto Verde. <laughs> All right, so that was it for the Europa League wrap-up. Now let's move on to the season wrap-up. Uh, the first question I'm going to ask you guys, what was your favorite goal of the season? Zach, I'll, I'll start off with you. What do you think? I mentioned Hazard's goal versus Liverpool, but what about that goal versus West Ham where yeah, just was, quick, quick feed in the box, that, that was blasted the, into the corner? That was my Yeah, that was my Eden Hazard moment. Oh, God, yeah. No, that was brilliant. 
Wow. I, I can't. I, I'd be pretty hard pressed to find a better goal than Hazard's versus Liverpool or Hazard's versus West Ham. That was unbelievable. I, yeah. Uh, my favorite goal was actually the the losses cheat goal versus Brighton. Uh, Hazard had just scored a, a similar goal, and then like two minutes later, you see uh, Loftus Cheek beat a player in the dribble and curl it back post just yeah. the same, like anything you can do, mm. I can do better kind of moment. <laughs> and I just, it just made me feel like RLC is ready to to be the main man next season. So just to like to see him continue to grow into his role, I just thought that was the cherry on top to to what we can expect from Loftus-Cheek going into next year. My, my favorite goal this season has got to be uh, earlier early in the season we played against Man United. I think this was still when we were unbeat. We were still like the, the longest uh, unbeaten team in, in, uh, in England or in Europe. And I think uh, Man United was up 2-0. Martial, I think, scored the both goals. Yep. And yeah. they scored one late. And then the... Ross Barkley goal in stoppage time. It was like, it was like a crazy power diving header from David Luiz off the post. Rudiger, right, uh, an amazing save from De Gea off of Rudiger, and then finally uh, Ross Barkley coming in finishing off. And then right after that was with the whole uh, Mourinho fiasco with one of the players saying, I mean, one of the assistants saying something to him and him getting up and getting in his face. Like that was one of my favorite moments probably (laughs) in all of my time (laughs) of being a Chelsea fan. And I mean, obviously the Ross, the Ross Barkley factor was huge. I'm a huge fan of Ross Barkley. So that was awesome. I hate man United and the reaction for uh, Mourinho, I think all of those combined, that was my favorite goal of the season. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's move on to the defensive side. Who's the best defensive player of the season? Zach, I'll start off with you again. Everyone thinks I'm gonna say Jorginho, but I'm <laughs> actually not. Um, the best defensive. <laughs> no, uh, player. best defensive player. No, I I, I think Kepa was. Um, you know that's it's not a slight on guys like Rudy um, or or David Luiz who had decent seasons on the whole. They've you know he, he had his ups and downs this season, but you know I th- I, th- I thought it was Kepa. Um, every other player seemed to have their ups and downs, as I said earlier, and Kepa just seemed to be the most consistent one. Um, of course, you know you have that Carabao Cup final fiasco and everything, but. Remember, he bounced back the very next game and was our man of the match. And, you know, he even won us another pe- – he had another chance to win us a penalty shootout and did that against Frankfurt. And the saves he made in that penalty shootout were just absolutely ridiculous. And and if you look at how Kepa's developed as the season's progressed, I mean, he's he he's seemed to put on a little bit of weight. He got a little bit stockier. And that's something I mentioned before the season started as well. You know, like he did look a little lightweight, but – you know he seemed to put weight on, and he's proven that he's a he's a str- he's a strong keeper. I yeah, you mentioned that our defensive line was not great, so it's hard for me to choose one of those guys as our best defender. So I'm gonna have kind of a, a left field shout here, and I'm gonna say I think Pedro defensively was very good this season, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. from the right wing. I just there are so many times that I can think of him tracking all the way back into our very own box. Uh, mm-hmm. specifically the Tottenham match when we eliminated them from the Carabao Cup in the semis he had a, a, a crucial tackle on Erickson before even scoring his own goal on the other end it, it, it just his effort is unmatched I know that he's very hot and cold in terms of his performances in the final third but 
effort never never goes away with him and, and seeing a right winger make those runs all the way back to your defensive end is is pretty impressive so props to him at 30 plus years of age for still doing that all right let's move on to the next question what was the biggest surprise of the season andreas i'll start off with you um i think for me it was the eventual implement like implementation of the youth uh just because we had heard that sorry never really made any moves to to implement youth back in his time in napoli and and it just took him so long also to finally get on the the cho bandwagon but you know he i can confidently say that after february Calum Hudson-Odoi and Loftus-Cheek were part of his preferred 11. Mm -hmm. It's just very unfortunate that injuries, similar injuries too, ended up cutting the season short for both those guys because they they were cemented starters and I would have really liked to see them finish out the season. And I mean, if we beat Arsenal 4-1 without those two guys, imagine if we would have had them there. So uh, I was very happy to see those two players become starters this season. Um, I think our biggest surprise of the season is not something that actually happened on the pitch. I think buying Christian Pulisic was pretty shocking, um, especially being American, right, guys? Um, the fact that we went out and bought Captain America and he's going to be playing in a Chelsea kit next year is something I still haven't gotten to grips with. Like I know we talk about us having a, a, a hard time or it not hitting us that Hazard's leaving, but how about the fact that Pulisic is coming as Americans? Um, I, I saw something on Twitter. I think it was Aurelius tweeted it, and it, it was actually hilarious. It said um, something along the lines of, uh, dear Chelsea, like, you know, uh, something about Americans not really caring about the number 10. Like, if it's Christian Pulisic is on Chelsea, you can put the number 69 on his back, and people would still sell out his jerseys. I prefer I, that they put 69 on it. <laughs> that would be that. pretty awesome. I would buy that. No, but, but, wow, that would be a sick number. But 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 I think it's brilliant that, that that we brought him in, and it's not only going to be great for the American market, but it's also going to put our country on the map in terms of actual football because we are on the come up, and a lot of people don't know. So, you know, maybe Pulisic could be the face of that come up. Didn't our U twenties beat uh, France today? Did you guys? Yeah, see they, that? Did. they did. Three to two. They yeah, did. That was, that was great. Um, so on the come up again. Uh, so let my for me my the biggest surprise was just finishing top three. That was. That was a bit, that was a shock. I mean, this was the, the, from something... throughout. I mean, it was a it was a surprise to me even two weeks before the season's over. You know, I felt it would have been a surprise for me from week four, from week you know the, the last the two weeks before the season ended. It, I couldn't. I, it was just everything went right for us. Um, so let's let's move on to the next question, Zach. This this is this is a where'd you get this question from again? Oh, I, I did. It's from uh, this guy on Twitter, Ma. That's, that's I guess, his nickname. Ma. He posted a quick video, and he was just saying that mostly people like to talk about the things that they got right and that they predicted right. So it would be interesting to, to kind of shed light on something that you thought was going to play out a certain way and just completely went sideways and you got totally wrong. All right, yeah. It's just what did you get a, wrong then? Yeah, for me, it was Iguain's output. I thought that him coming in in January, having that experience with Sarri, while he had a bad season at Milan, I really thought it was Milan's issues, not his own. So I thought he would be a lot closer to 10 goals, and he was definitely not. 
And the other thing is that I expected Kovacic to grow into that attacking mid slot. I, I thought his lack of goals were due to, to positioning and lack of minutes, but not his actual lack of shooting ability. So I still love the player, just think it was a bad fit for that position. So those are the two big things that I definitely did not get right did going into the season. Did you ever get the Kovacic jersey? Uh, yeah, I still oh, have it. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, I was... I agree with Andres. I was actually going to say Kovacic because, you know, going into the season, we were pretty excited. Hey, guys, we got someone that, you know, came on in the World Cup final. He was crucial in that Croatia team. He, you know, we all know what he did at Inter Milan before he made the transfer to Real Madrid. And we all just thought that he was a victim of of Cruz and Modric, right? Like, that's the only reason right. why this guy wasn't getting on the pitch at Madrid. And it was for a couple of years. And I just thought he would come in and, and, and sort of, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I really thought that we found that potential world-class partner for N'Golo Conte w when we initially brought him in. I mean, you just look at his accolades and everything he's achieved as a player, and you'd think, like, shit, man, like, this could be something special. And uh, it was everything but that. I thought it was very pedestrian at times. And and I agree with you, Andres. I, I thought he was going to grow into a number 10 role, but the more I've seen him actually play, I just think he's more like Jorginho than he is uh, a, a creative attacking midfield type. So um, I'm really curious to see what happens this summer. I mean, what do you guys think? Would you would you even want to bring him back? Because if we do make any transfer per se, um, it would be Kovacic because he's already registered with us. So yeah, we wouldn't be breaking any rules. Him and Iguain are like the only players we can make official. Yeah. Um, I think it'll really just depend on who our manager is going to be. If yeah. if we're looking at a manager that's bringing back the four two three one, for uh, consistently, I'd be more willing to sign him. Just yeah. again, we just mentioned if he's playing deeper, and we've seen that he has the defensive output. Putting him next to N'Golo Conte, that's a pretty good double pivot, guarding the back four. But it, it's just going to come down to the new manager's preference. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he did enough this season to warrant a full-time move. But then again, we're in a very peculiar situation. So whoever the manager is, it will be kind of the determining factor for that. Yeah, I think we were all a little off on our, our expectations of Kovacic after. I mean, he, he did he did start off on a really, really high note. Oh, we, we were all talking about how much he looked like Hazard on the ball. <laughs> I know. His dribbling like, um, is great, though. Right. That's a yeah, thing. yeah, it it's is. his pace, it is. it's his speed, it's his it literally like just his He's the shape very... of his body and the fact yeah. that he wore seventeen really got me. Um, so <laughs> it's pretty shifty. Is, I think we got uh, a couple more questions. Gary Cahill unfortunately announces that he will not be returning to Chelsea next season. So is he a club legend or is he just a cult hero, Zach? Uh, we legend. already know your yeah, we already know your yeah. answer. Legend. He's an absolute legend. Andreas. He's a legend, but like barely making the mark. Yeah, he'll make me. yeah, he barely makes a cut, but he's a legend. I mean, we we do throw that he's, word he's, around a lot, but he won absolutely everything at the club and he was the quickest player to win every single domestic trophy. I think like the the time when where he won every trophy possible was the shortest ever, something along those lines with the club. So, so it's him. pretty impressive. He's his resume speaks for itself. So and this is really but sorry to cut you off, but but this was really his only season that he was he was like barely a bit part player. Every other season where he's won a trophy, he was like a major contributor, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, this is the yeah twenty 
2015 was the only other season where I could say that he had a bad season when Zuma yeah. and Terry were the preferred back line, but that was one of our wor- actually that was our worst season in the last 10 years. So yeah, this, this season could have beaten that, but I mean, just getting to the last question, just wrapping everything up, despite all of the negative press and the off pitch distractions, would you consider this season a success? You know, listing it off. We made it to the final of the Carabao Cup. We won the Europa. We finished third in the league. I mean, throughout the season, it, it, it seemed like a season of dread. But looking back, despite all of that, would you guys consider this season a success? Andreas, what do you think? Yeah, uh, objectively, yes. The season right. was a success. We're back in the Champions League. Uh, like you mentioned, two cup finals actually got a trophy. It just, in typical Chelsea fashion, the week after the season ending, we're back to negativity and all this other stuff. So now next season is looking murky, even though it should have been even an improvement on this season. So I think think this past season was a success as a whole. Like you said, there was a lot of ups and downs, but we finished in a very good up. And yeah, objectively, it was a good season. I mean, you look at our our goals going into the season and we exceeded all of them, right? We wanted to make the Europa League final and we won it. We wanted to make a domestic we wanted to compete for a domestic cup and we made the Carabao Cup final. We wanted to qualify for Champions League, we finished in third. Now it was all it was a we successful qualified season. Qualified twice, by the way. We qualified, qualified twice. Qualified twice, yeah. We did qualify <laughs> twice. We met that goal two times. <laughs> so, like, you know, yes, we it, it was a success. But at the same time, it was also the most confusing emotional season I have ever experienced in probably any sport. And, like, that's really saying something because I'm mean, a Laker fan. <laughs> behind closed doors, I don't think – I mean, I don't think I can count the amount of times Zach has said, fuck this club, fuck Chelsea, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like only, only to be like, I take it all back, I can't say that, you know, like – I mean, well, don't you guys notice a little change in my tone this podcast? Season's over. We finished on a high. Like I'm in a good mood. Like this is this is this is cause for celebration. Yeah. Until we get to the next part of the podcast. Oh, oh god. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could be I mean, a cause for celebration. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's see. Let's find out. Let's just jump into it. Let's talk about Maurizio Sarri's future. So, me and Andreas's boy Alfredo Peduya, uh, aka just Fredo a.k.a. Fred, uh, he broke the story that Chelsea have agreed to let Sarri speak with Juventus, with uh, Juventus willing to pay $5 million compensation compensation fee uh, to release him from his current con- uh, contract with Chelsea. Uh, according to Alfredo, he wants to return to Italy not only to coach Juve, but also for family reasons. Uh, Brinadeschi was quoted saying, as a player, I can say that Sarri is a valid profile to me, but I don't know if he will be the next manager. Uh, Cristiano even endorsed it today, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, looking back, looking at it now with, with, with what Juventus has coming in and uh, also just like what they have right now, I think that he would be such a great fit for them. <laughs> like we said, yeah. we said before, that's an upgrade of a job than what he has right now at Chelsea. So he must be ecstatic. Uh but obviously on our side, I mean, would you guys be okay with Sari walking? Andreas, you want, you want to start off? What do you think? Yeah, um, I'm not okay with him walking 
if I'm looking at it from the board's standpoint, because for one, they brought him on to change our DNA, right? The you know Chelsea had been a defensive counterattacking team, and Sarri was supposed to be the beginning of the future attacking fluid football. And they we talked about it based on what the objectives were at the beginning of the season. He achieved everything he was asked. Uh, he was very stubborn. But even at the back end of the season, we saw some changes. Like I said, Loftus-Cheek, Hudson-Odoi were cemented starters. Um, now, if I'm seeing it from Sari's perspective, then I'm, I'm willing to side with him and say, you know what? You deserve to go. Um, you know, people are, are screaming F Sari ball and booing him, booing Jorginho as a, as a, as a surrogate to Sari. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, essentially saying that he that every that he's just too stubborn that that's not the the Chelsea way or the English way, and going back to Italy, he is their darling. Like this guy is like the rags to riches story that the Italian media and football love. Like they before he left Italy, he was the most attractive football in all of Europe, and yeah. he made Napoli break records without winning the league. And now he would take over a Juventus team that gets two domestic trophies a year. Guaranteed. And yeah. right, they compete in the Champions League. And you mentioned it. If you look at their starting 11, they have everything that he wants in a team. He's got a clinical striker, two uh, unselfish wingers. He's got Pjanic, who is basically a Jorginho, Matuidi, who is a downgrade to Conte, but can do the role. Uh, in the attacking mid, you can even put Dybala if you want, or Khan or Chan. Like he's got plenty of options for the left center mid. He's got Bonucci and Chiellini and Rugani, who he loves at center back. And then he's got Cancelo and Sandro as his attacking fullbacks. And he's going to buy Koulibaly. <laughs> right. <laughs> we all know get, that's going to happen. He'll get his man from from Napoli. And yeah, yeah. This this team already is built for what Sari wants in his little puzzle pieces. And again, going back to Italy, these guys have played against him and against his very fluid football. They're going to listen. Unlike our players, these guys are going to listen and they're going to implement the system a lot faster than we did. And to be honest, Juventus under Sarri seems like a very scary prospect. Yeah, I I think it does too. But at the same time, I don't think that that Juventus team is going to be much better off with him as their manager at this point in time. Like I know, I know, I know. We talk about how strong our squad is, right? If you have Cristiano, you have a chance. I don't care if he's thirty four or or twenty two. You know, you still have a chance with him. Uh, you got guys like Pjanic, like you mentioned, who those are those are going to be his two go to guys, right? Because we know Cristiano is going to start every game, and we know Pjanic is going to be playing in that Jorginho role. Now he has an aging back line. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Alexandra? I mean, there's just a lot of question marks in that side. So I don't know if they're necessarily going to be propelled to the next level just by him coming into the club. I do think there's they still have a lot of business to do. But um, with that being said, like you guys could tell how interested I am in Juve's project under Sari because I, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind watching it come to fruition. Like the guy did what he was asked, um, and. You know, I I am happy he got a trophy at the end of it because as much stick as we've given him this season, we've never once called him a bad coach or a bad manager, right? Like like we've criticized him 
but we haven't gone as far to say as he is a shit manager, right? Um, like a lot of other fans did. So, you know, if he gets his chance there, fair play to him. I hope he does well and we'll be welcoming, uh, hopefully, Frank and Jody. Yeah, and I also talked about this last week, but I'm if, if, if this ends up happening and sorry goes to Juventus, I'm really going to be keeping an eye on the Serie A and between that battle between Inter and Juventus, oh, the, man. the Conte um, Sari battle, um, you know, two former Chelsea managers competing at it. Ancelotti and... still there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, we can. Mourinho is he is he looking to transfer to Atalanta? I mean, I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> Atalanta's like, <laughs> like that's like the year. hipster Serie A team, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, like uh, Mourinho's nightmare, though. It's all young, talented players, not <laughs> old, proven vets. To stay uh, as far away from that as possible. Right. By the way, how weird was Mourinho and Wenger on the same panel, sitting right next to each other? That too? was weird. Yeah, um, it didn't feel right. So, let let Ron actually, uh, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe. <laughs> Asked us a question on Twitter. He says, if Sari does leave, will this thing drag on like when he was appointed last year to preseason? So he's pretty much asking, will this will this overlap with preseason and we will have a portion without a manager appointed? Jeez. What um, do you guys think? I'll, I'll quickly say that at the time of recording, by now, we, according to the media, Sari should have already been Juventus manager and it hasn't happened. Because yeah. now we're trying to get compensation, so unfortunately, <laughs> it's gonna drag. I don't business think it'll drag too. I don't think it'll drag as much as the Conte sorry situation because there is no World Cup in the middle, so negotiations can continue. But good God, it's it's just there's no plan, and you can tell. So like, there's never been a plan, and that I think it'll drag some, but I don't think we will start preseason with one manager and then move to the well, next. It, it, I think I, I think it caught, I, I think it caught the board off guard, guys. Like think about it, you know, midway through this season we're all thinking, "Oh, fuck, like this is this could be bad. He might not even be able to last a season." Next thing we know, he's winning the title. And then when the season started, our whole purpose of hiring this guy was I think it was Andres that said it, was to change our philosophy, right? To go from this defensive stoic, you know, a uh, uh, strong footballing team to a more fluid uh uh beautiful you know attacking football team and basically he's a project manager and that's something that we're not used to having at Chelsea so it's just so it's just so confusing to me and validates the point that Andres was making where like there's no plan in place because we brought in this guy to create a project and if we're just not going to give him the time then you know, that's one thing. But if we're going to let him walk away, that's another thing. Like, give this guy a public endorsement. Promise him something after the transfer ban or whatever. Like, keep him happy. I mean, th this could be something special. And, like, I know a lot of people are going to jump on me for saying that. But I, I am pro Frank and Jody. But, I mean, what we saw in the second half of the Europa League final. Oh, it's just that such was, a tease, man. I mean, why, why, it, would, it why would he pull that out the last potentially the last game and just leave us with the kind of like the, the vision of what could hindsight have been. hindsight is key song because when you really think about it we've done that in spurts throughout the season on a regular basis our problem is we can't put it together for 90 minutes and in the cup final we couldn't do it either 
So and, and we can't and we're not clinical as well. I mean, but yeah, we were somehow yeah, it, extremely clinical. And here. and one thing that I always mention throughout the season is that our batch of players like to put in a 100% effort only when something is on the table for them. Yeah. So I, I'm not shocked that they brought it out during the cup final, but you know, Sam mentioned it. We didn't see this against mid table sides and stuff because our, our guys just weren't waking up motivated to, to go out there and ball out. So yeah. it, a little blame, the, the blame is shared, but yeah, it, it is, it is yeah, kind I mean, of a manager, bummer that you gotta our... get, you got to get your, your players up and going for every match. You know, that, that responsible, that responsibility ultimately is on, it falls on but the manager if it doesn't I happen. Guess, but I guess I, my counter is that we've had that same issue for three managers now. So at, at some point we also have to look at the players. Like, but the point I'm trying to make is it sucks, but yeah, I, if, if sorry leaves and we do get Frank great onto the next, I'm not going to complain to get a club legend. So yeah, I think, I think yeah. we, we've already mentioned who we really want as the next manager uh, in past episodes and the last couple episodes just to run it back, what what the different rumors are. Frank and Jody, we've already discussed that. More recently, we saw Allegri being linked. Steve Holland. Yeah, manager Steve, swap. Yeah. Steve Holland, even Mourinho links are appearing somewhere. So a third tour. I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I can handle that. but Th- Those Steve Holland ones are really interesting for me. Because why? Yeah, why? But they also terrify me because, like, I think we all know Frank and Jody are just bound to come at some point, whether it's next season or five years from now, who knows. But if a guy like Steve Holland comes in, I mean, that's that's probably the only other manager that we've been linked with where I can see him hitting the ground running and, and, and just having incredible success, like in the typical Chelsea way. Come in, hit the ground running, win a trophy your first season, and then just completely derail Fade the whole out. thing. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because back in December, I mentioned that I thought Steve Holland with JT as an assistant could mm-hmm. be an option, and now that's resurfacing again. Uh, obviously, if we're looking at realistically, we mentioned it before, I think Lampard seems to be the, the one guy that I think would unify – the board, the fans, the players, everything in one. So the the whole toxic environment would probably disappear. Uh, two things that I want to say is that Lampard has been a full manager now. So those I hate the old Gunner Solskjaer comparison because he came in as an interim manager and then his magic faded. But he dealt with a very young and naive squad in Derby. Plus, Jody had been our academy manager for years and had been very successful with those players. So under a ban... That kind of match is, is perfect for what we need, just to kind of get the most out of a talented but not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, proven squad. And then the last thing, people are quick to say that Lampard's derby was not good consistently and that you know they were 10th in expen- expected goals and whatnot. But my counter argument for that is that much like Sari, Lampard completed all of his objectives. So... People forget that, you know, the championship, yes, there's 20 teams, but all 20 teams are essentially the same exact thing. And for him to still get promotion in his very first season as a manager is impressive. And again, doing it with a very young team full of low knees or older championship level players. So I think it's it's easy to downplay what he did at Derby and what he could do at Chelsea next season. 
All right, well, we got a couple. We <laughs> let's move on to this last section, actually. Um, so we got we, we we asked last week for people to send in stories and stuff like that to our email address, uh, RomansEmpirePod at gmail dot com, uh, and Superfan Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe. I think us... he could be an argument for a fan of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Easily. are we going to have But of course that's not a knock on like all of our other guys, the Nick Lenartsons of the world, the Chelsea Eric's of the world. Hey, but Chelsea he, Eric the, kinda, the angry kinda, Chelsea fans yeah. of the world. Chelsea Eric, Even guys I, I like wanna... Leonard Cohen came up through the ranks. Yeah. <laughs> he came and, up through and, the youth academy, yeah. And Seamus. But to be honest, I I, I don't want to say anything. you know, I, I love you Chelsea Eric, but I think that he uh he kind of fell off a little bit this season. We got a lot more interaction last season. It was very disappointing. We want to hear more from you. So um, shut up. <laughs> no, I'm saying I, I, I miss hearing from you so much. It's a We're going to lose one of our 12 listeners. Oh, like, do you understand how right. bad that could be? 11 a good number. It's good. Um, Eric, so we love me, you, man. Let me read this, this story from Bone Daddy. Uh, so he says, he starts it off by saying, fam. So my job sent me to to Des Moines. Des Moines is a city in Iowa, the most random state in all of America, uh, for a work conference, and I was scheduled for a roundtable around the time of the game. I was able to get out of the roundtable and make my way to the airport where I figured that I'd be able to watch the match at least on my phone and drink up at a bar while waiting for my flight later. I guess the whole time zone thing threw me off, and as the game was ready to start, my flight was ready, getting ready to board. I asked if they had Wi-Fi wi on the plane, and they said yes. I get into my seat uh, to, uh, sorry, I get into the seat uh, at kickoff, and I try to see about the Wi-Fi, and it was only for their website. So I was shit out of luck until my connecting flight. So when we land, I turn my phone on, and I see that it's tied with two minutes left in the second half. Just as we land, I, my boss texts me and goes, our connecting flight starts boarding in 15 minutes. Of course, there's an issue at the gate due to the weather in Denver. At least I got the game on my phone and am able to watch or listen to the extra time as I wait to disembark. We land in Terminal 29. Our connecting flight was at Terminal 79. So I do my best OJ Hertz commercial running through the airport impression while <laughs> still listening to the game. By the time I get to the gate and they're about to board my group, there are a few minutes left in the second uh, extra time, and I figure we're going to pens at this point. I get to my seat, and the penalties are about to start. I was in the middle seat next to a couple of students, so I have the game on my phone, and I'm stressed out, and it's hot, and I'm hoping the plane doesn't take off before the penalty, for the final penalty. So once Keppa makes that first save, I got up and started screaming, yes, yes, like a... Homegirl and Harry me Harry meets Sally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the stewardess gives me a, a look. I was basically having the time of my life when Eden Hazard scored. I went crazy and was fist pumping, wooing like Ric Flair and waving Woo! my scarf. Uh, the stewardess goes, sir, one more outburst like that and I'll have to ask you to leave. I go, all good. We won. We can take off now. So I had a huge smile the whole fly home. LOL. <laughs> Uh, hashtag keep the blue flag flying high. Hashtag rep ultra from Ron, aka Shout Bone out to Daddy. Ron. That was a great sharing, story. Ron. I mean, yeah, this is, no, these are these are the kind of stories that happen all the time in in uh in America trying to trying to watch these football matches. You know, and we want to hear more of them. 
So like, make sure that you guys actually email us because we will put it on our podcast. Like Ron emailed us, and he was actually the only one that emailed us. And look what happened. So you know, follow it. suit, guys. Like, if you want to tell us your stories, we want to hear, because I think everybody's Chelsea story is extremely unique. And speaking of unique, that's how we actually got Andres on a podcast. One day we asked him to be a guest. Turns out he lives all the way in Texas, and we're all the way here in Los Angeles. Next thing we know. We have a Chelsea podcast together. So it's stories like that well, that we love hearing about. So make sure you let us know, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Guys, it has been a fantastic podcast. And a crazy season. A crazy, <laughs> to crazy, say the least. crazy season. Thank God Tottenham didn't win the Champions League. Now, instead of being tied with them for European trophies, we have – Oh no! Yeah, we would Actually, we would have one. We, we would have had we would have had one more regardless, but two more. Now we have, now we have three more. more. So, well, three more, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we we basically have a three piece over Spurs, and uh, that's not including you know all the other trophies we have in our cabinet. So, um, but they, yeah, they anyways, don't know what that means trophies. So yeah, you're gonna, I don't know what. They, I don't if, know. If there's any if there's any Tottenham fans listening, you could look up what that means. Yeah, just Google trophy and a picture of a uh, Drogba carrying the Champions League trophy will probably pop up. But, but I doubt there are any Spurs fans listening. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but anyways, guys, it has been a great season to all our listeners. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening to us. Our numbers this season have gone up exponentially from last season, uh, mostly due to us adding Andres on this season. He's been been fantastic. So first and foremost. Sam, I think we need to give Andres a big thank, thank you. Thank you, Andres. For, uh, you killed it this season. For not only really being, to our, not to only our, being <laughs> our third person on our podcast, but being our friend. Oh, yeah, no. Um, anyways, <laughs> but but besides that, all the listeners, thank you so much. All of our Roman's Empire Pod Ultras, make sure you tweet at us, Roman, at Roman's Empire Pod. Um, we are on SoundCloud. I mean, SoundCloud. Yeah, we are on SoundCloud. We're mm-hmm. not on Spotify yet. Um, but we are on uh, on Apple, Apple Podcasts. We are on any third-party app if you have an Android. Um, so make sure you check us out. Share us. Let us know what you guys think. And uh, we will be recording over the summer just periodically. Maybe not as often, but there will definitely be some content out there. So with that being said, keep the blue flag flying high.